In Good We Trust is recorded at the Philadelphia Ethical Society in Philadelphia, PA. For more information about us, visit phillyethics.org or follow us on Instagram at phillyethics. Welcome to In Good We Trust. I'm Hugh Taft Morales speaking to you from the Ethical Society on Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. What does it mean to trust in good? What does committing to goodness entail? Volumes of philosophical wisdom offer lots of answers. Obey scriptural commandments, do your duty, or create the greatest good for the greatest number. Today, I'm not going to drag you into any of these metaphysical rabbit holes. For now, let's assume that trusting goodness just means trying to be kind, just, and compassionate towards others. But this is hard to do consistently, right? I mean, we're tired sometimes or distracted, and sometimes people can really piss you off. And even if you have the energy and the inclination, there's another challenge. If you open your eyes, you see so much suffering. How can you possibly offer kindness, justice, and compassion to everybody It can feel overwhelming. Felix Adler, the founder of the ethical culture movement, was overwhelmed when looking out at the sea of humanity. He wrote, We stand, as it were, on the shore and see multitudes of our fellow beings struggling in the water, stretching forth their arms, sinking, drowning, and we are powerless to assist them. Well, we're not completely powerless. But our limitations are clear. We're always making decisions about when to help and when to ignore. Every day I walk past unhoused people asking for change. On some days, if I have a couple of dollars handy, I'll offer that. Even if we do help one or two people, we know that we can't help most of our fellow human beings. And that can be heartbreaking. Having our eyes open and our hearts open leads to what Felix Adler calls spiritual pain. If that's too religious for you, I call it existential pain. Opening to the suffering of many can overwhelm us, numb us, paralyze us. Adler actually compares it to looking at the mythical and hideous head of Medusa with writhing snakes as hair. He writes, Whoever looks at her becomes like her. The blood freezes in his veins. He is turned to stone. Perspective pain is the Medusa. We look into the face and are petrified. The reason is we think of the pain and we do not look beyond the pain. Well, it's certainly easier to look beyond the pain. We love feel-good stories of people escaping desperate situations of folks pulling themselves up by their bootstraps or being saved by guardian angels. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that enjoying those narratives make us feel better, not others. And we know we could do more to help them. When we give someone a few bucks, it temporarily eases our conscience, but it also reminds us that human needs are bottomless. 
our contribution buys today's sandwich, but what about tonight's or tomorrow or the millions of other hungry people? I mean, we have other commitments to family, friends, clients that we can't ignore, right? But does that mean we have to close our hearts? It's not easy to care deeply about many things in our complex and often cruel world. Trusting in goodness requires us to be open and vulnerable. That's something I learned as a graduate student in philosophy when reading Martha Nussbaum's book, The Fragility of Goodness. As a philosopher, Nussbaum knows well the escape offered by the contemplative life. Not only can it seclude us in ivory towers, but it can also help us avoid the grid of life by embracing a higher reality, like Plato suggests we embrace the perfect and eternal principles that govern reality. Well, that'll keep you from worrying about the difficult moral dilemmas of life. From that safe space, we try to build, as Nussbaum puts it, goodness without fragility. Immanuel Kant offers a similar escape by suggesting that reason allows us to deduce the best moral path. Reason points the way. But I think that reason is insufficient. I mean, very rational people can do horrible things. Philip Haley, in his book, Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed, writes of Nazi doctors rationalizing their torturous medical experiments on children as being for the higher good. Even Haley himself, doing this research, felt drawn into protective rationalizations. He distanced himself from the horror by trying to remain objective. He suppressed his empathy and disgust in order to follow methodological best practices and also out of his own psychological need. And then it hit him. Like the Nazi doctors, he was shielding himself against the emotional toll of his work by treating the, quote, slow crushing and grinding of a human being by other human beings as just part of the job. It helped him understand how Nazi doctors could look upon torture and death without a shudder. Haley confessed, reading about the damned, I was damned myself as damned as the murderers. Is this what we risk when conjuring up rational justifications that keep us distant from the pain of multitudes of our fellow human beings? The settlement house pioneer Jane Addams didn't hide from suffering. Even as a child, she resented adult efforts to shield her, explaining that children, quote, wish to climb steep stairs and to eat their bread with tears. As Adams matured, she didn't numb herself to tragedy with reason. Instead, she acted. She devoted her life to the poor of Chicago, appreciating that the bitter pain of daily life was a part of the sweetness of existence. Now, few of us, myself included, are as brave as Jane Addams. The small contributions of goodness that we offer to the world are drops in the ocean. But our flailing efforts more effectively ease our spiritual pain than do all the abstract prescriptions from Plato and Kant. And 
Our efforts help others at least a little. I used to think that there were explanations for the pain of the world. I used to think that we could figure it out, that we could fit into a worldview that made sense. Some folks say that it's all part of God's plan, while others write it off to human nature simply being the result of being primates living a life that is nasty, brutish, and short. But maybe trying to understand cruelty is not the real challenge. Maybe the challenge is to witness it and then to try to eliminate it. I mean, my commitment to ethical humanism involves facing up to the pain of the world and, as consistently as I can, acting to comfort and empower others. I do this better when I'm with others with the same ethical aspirations. I mean, together we witness the multitudes of our fellow beings struggling in the water and then encourage each other not to become paralyzed like victims of Medusa. In an essay titled An Ethical Attitude Towards Suffering, Felix Adler offers this advice about the fragility of goodness. Suffering is a passive state. The cure of suffering is action. What can you do today within the context of your other obligations and interests to contribute kindness, justice, and compassion to the world? How can you demonstrate trust and goodness? Join with others working to transform our spiritual pain and our aching conscience. Take action. The time is now. The task is ours. Thanks for listening.